We return one last time to the Masonic Manifesto, the Messiah's Manifesto, given, as it were, on the mount, not just preached once, but referred to often in the days of the Lord's preaching ministry. We come to the end of it, beginning at verse 24 this morning. 24 to 29 will be our text. I remind you that it is a part of a larger section that involved the two ways, the two trees, and the end of it is the two houses. Bill asked me this morning at prayer before we came into this hour if my sermon would be any easier on the congregation. And as I looked across the congregation and saw that we have visitors from the east and visitors from the south, I thought, well, Lord, it would be nice if it were easier on the congregation. But, of course, that depends upon your response. God is God. He never changes. His word doesn't change. We sure do. We're fickle. Sometimes we're as hot as a $2 pistol, and sometimes we're so cold we're like Michigan ice. We need God's touch. We need God's spirit to warm our hearts and minds to receive the truth of his word this morning as we pick up in the, Messi in the Messianic Manifesto beginning at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Father, this morning we come to a text most familiar. And indeed, our familiarity is added to because of the little ditty of a song that our children are accustomed to singing. The wise man built his house upon the rock. We pray today that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive the truth of that depiction of two houses. We have sought to be faithful to the presentation of King Jesus in his messianic manifesto as he spoke of two ways, one narrow and one broad. Father, we would be people of the narrow way. We've considered the words of Christ, the King, 
concerning two trees, one good, one evil. And we would desire to be good trees, standing in the righteousness of Christ and bearing fruit accordingly. And now as we speak of the two houses, as Christ spoke of those two houses, different only in their foundation, but very different. Help us then to be people of house on the rock. Take the text. Let it be in the blessed hands of thy powerful Holy Spirit indwelling thy people and use it mightily in our lives for your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Logos is the Greek for word in that profound text, John 1.1. Logos is the Greek word as profoundly described by King Jesus in our text three times. The word logos is found in form three times. In our text, verse 24, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings, verse 26, and everyone that heareth these sayings, and again, verse 28, and it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, in each and every case, the English word sayings or words, is from Logos. Specifically, he who is Logos emphasizes his Logos, words. This passage is about the Logos of the Logos. The Logos is the word, Christ. And these are his words, Logos. And Jesus said that anybody that hears these words, not good enough. Jesus said, whoever hears these words, not good enough. Jesus said, the man that hears them and does them, that's the man with a house upon the rock. Now, that's the whole sermon. So if you ever already feel like you've taken in too much, well then... Check out now. But if you hang in there, there's a lot more to it, and I do believe it's a blessing. You have logos, plural, of logos, three times. And the word, capital W-O-R-D, insists upon us hearing and doing his words. That is what this text is profoundly all about. The Apostle John records an introduction, I should say an interaction between the Lord Jesus and his inner circle of disciples in which Christ proclaimed, it is the spirit that quickeneth, 
the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. John 6, 33. Again, our text in Matthew says King Jesus insists upon our hearing and doing his life-giving words. The Messianic Manifesto comes to its presentational end with an illustrative truth uh, as we have revealed it uh, over the series of a number of weeks, two gates, two trees, two houses. And after a sobering depiction of the king's future judgment of self-deceived professing Christians, verse 23, King Jesus then insists upon our hearing and doing his words in righteous response as indicated by the first word of our text, verse 24, therefore. Here is the conclusion of being aware as an individual that there will be many, not my word, the Lord's word, professing Christians in the coming day of judgment who will say, Lord, we loved you, we named your name, we served you, And the Lord will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. The Lord said many Christians will have that experience in the coming day of judgment. And now, following up on that sobering reality, therefore, Jesus says, I insist upon you hearing and doing My words. This illustrative part of Messiah's manifesto uh, has been sung uh, by children for generations. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains came tumbling down. And certainly this illustration uh, draws upon uh, the rational devastation when confronting, as it were, a flood. I would just cause the saints to note that the flood did not just come upon uh, the house built upon the sand, but the house built upon the rock. The experience of life for both homeowners was exactly the same experience. Building your house upon the rock doesn't mean your life will be easy. The wind and the rain will come on your life, as it does all men. But nonetheless, the logic here about surviving uh, the negative circumstances of life, uh, earthly experience, the logic here remains intact, even if you were to change metaphors, even if you were to change depictions of devastation, uh, like fire in Moy. If you were to take the situation in in Hawaii today and uh, use that element of the news, uh, you could certainly uh, make the same kind of profound logic and point concerning the aspect of devastation by flood or by 
fire. I only mention that because, in fact, the Bible teaches both. There was, there was, there was a worldwide devastation by flood. There will be, there will be, there will be a worldwide devastation by fire. It's not enough to have spiritual flood insurance. You need protection from the devastation of flood and fire. And that protection, that safeguard is only found in the words of the word, Jesus Christ. We begin our consideration of this important close to the king's manifesto with his instructions concerning the wise in response and the foolish in response to his word. The builder who built upon the rock is called wise, verse 24. The word wise, in this case, means mindful, thoughtful. The mindful or thoughtful builder built upon the rock. The builder upon sand is called foolish. Verse 26, the word foolish is the Greek moros, which comes into English as moron, And so the mindful builder built upon the rock and the moron built upon the sand. You have a choice to make today. Are you going to exercise yourself as one who is mindful or one who is a moron? Wise or otherwise? Wise or foolish? Rock? Or sand. Both housing structures in the illustration undergo assault by violent and stormy weather, with, of course, the house on the rock enduring and the house on the sand succumbing. There's your choice endure or succumb. Endure or succumb. The point is easily made to be like the builder who built upon the rock. The Lord tells us exactly what that means. In application, according to King Jesus, the builder upon the rock represents a person who hears his words and does them. That is the defining action as to whether an individual is enduring or whether that individual is succumbing. Two questions here. What are the words of Christ about on this occasion? And how might we best identify the rock upon which to build? The words of Christ on this occasion were about God's demand for perfect righteousness. And that his intervention to provide had just arrived. The heavenly king spoke on this occasion of the kingdom of God offered to the Jewish nation awaiting their mindful and thoughtful response. You know, we've referenced it many times, that a few, very few, among the first century population in Israel were mindful. As many as were mindful, as many as believed on him, to them he gave the power, the authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. But most in that generation proved to be moronic. 
they proved to be foolish. Few out of that generation endured. Most out of that generation succumbed. Many of the commentators identified the foundational rock upon which the mindful man built as Jesus Christ himself. Indeed, we sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But other commentators point to the written scriptures as the rock upon which the mindful man built. Of course, the key in all of this is the word founded. Verse 25, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded, grounded, built upon a rock. That references the laying down of a stable or solid foundation. The illustrative foundation was laid upon a rock. And I find it interesting that the word rock here is that word Petra, which is the exact same word Jesus used when speaking to Peter, Petros. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaking to Peter about the truth Petra, upon which his church would be built. I can't criticize the commentators who say the rock is Christ. I see that. I certainly don't criticize the commentators that see uh, the, the reference here to rock as being the scriptures, as being the words of Christ. That would be right. That's why we began this hour by saying the word Logos is herein insisting upon that you hear and you do his logos, his words. Because there is this sharp connection between the truth of the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he did, first advent, as being the foundation laid upon which you and I can build life to the honor and the glory of God. Paul, of course, tells us of one foundation laid, which is Jesus Christ, and also calls Christ the cornerstone. King Jesus is God the rock, who spoke of righteous response to his words. On this occasion, his words of truth about God's righteousness demands the work of God accomplished by Christ in the first advent. His words of truth convince us of the word of truth, which he is. Again, his words of truth convince us of the word of truth, which he is. He is the word. And these are his words. And he, the word, ultimately builds his church upon the truth of his words. Upon the logical platform 
upon which all of the scripture, Genesis to Malachi, and then Matthew to Revelation, points. Namely, Christ. It is all about him. You have to pay attention to it in order to get to him. There is no him without it. But if you're not careful, you'll so focus on the it of it, you will miss the him. May God help us not to miss the word who is God. It is, of course, the point and emphasis of the words of God, faithfully written down in truth, infallibly to be received by every believing soul. Right response in hearing and doing, the words of God lead us to embrace him, who is the eternal word that became flesh, did the will of the Father, coming to earth to save sinful humanity. Our text greatly impacts our understanding of bibliology and Christology. The rock of truth is found in the words of Scripture that make us wise unto salvation, that salvation provided by God the rock, who is Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And for many, many weeks now, we have given ourselves over to Matthew 5 to 7 and the study of the Messianic Manifesto. I want you then to see this morning and consider the reaction of the people to the Manifesto. Uh, verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these logos, when he has ended these words, when he had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. The single word of description concerning the original crowd's response is the word astonished. The people were astonished at the doctrine and the teaching of Jesus, the Christ. The word ekpleso means to be hit with a blow, to be struck or punched, and is often used metaphorically to speak of being stunned, or today we might say, tased. We live in a modern era where that, for one reason or another, we've all seen and heard of police action towards a rebellious and, and a riotous person in which they pull out their taser and shoot them. And the person goes limp. They've been tased. They've been stunned. They've been astonished. Uh, that would be the right idea of the thing. Now, 
the thing that I would like to say about that this morning is, is that I don't believe that that was the best response that the Lord would desire. Our buddy James Montgomery Boy says that it appears the original audience was more impressed with the Lord's authority to speak than the content of the sermon itself. In other words, when we look at the response of the crowd, they were stunned. They were astonished. But it doesn't say that they responded to do according to the content of his words. Boy says, to be sure, to come to the fullness of faith in Jesus Christ would have been a far better reaction on the part of his hearers than the type of amazement that is recorded here. But certainly, listen, his quote, but certainly no one then was at the point where such a profession of faith was possible, not even with the disciples. This is a sermon that shocked the people that heard it. This is a sermon that rattled their comfortability. And it certainly began to lay down in words the truths that ultimately must be heard and responded to in action. But this manifesto, above all things, made clear the absolute demand of God for perfect righteousness in human beings as the only basis for kingdom life. And when the sermon was done, you could have asked, the Lord did not, but the Lord could have asked, how many of you here today, under the sounds of my voice, would claim to have in your own life perfect righteousness before God. And just like we would view any hand raised in this congregation as absolute moronic foolishness. So in the crowd that day, there would have been no hands raised with any person believing themselves to be perfectly right before God. What does the Sermon on the Mount do? What does the Sermon on the Mount uh, uh, produce by way of effect? Well, it, pro it, it produces a stunning. It produces an astonishment because it whets the soul in appetite for God's one and only one solution. And that is, of course, as you know, Jesus Christ. 
There is no doubt whatsoever that the most important message of the Messiah's manifesto is the person of Christ himself. His words are life. And his work in the first advent was indeed the work of salvation. And again, we must say there can be no separation between the words of God and God the Word. It is the absolute key to knowing Him. And then the third thing that I would call your attention to this morning in the text is the jurisdiction of Christ, as clearly indicated in verse 29. For he, Jesus, taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The jurisdiction of Jesus as king of kings. The crowd on that day of record noted his authority when speaking. The scribes commonly spoke from recognized authorities on earth. They quoted popular and well-received rabbis, more commonly pronounced rabbis. The rabbis of history and common contemporary influence were often quoted in order for a scribe to make his point. Jesus did not talk quoting anybody but himself. God himself. Speakers speak from authority. Jesus spoke with authority. As one out of the abode of God above. Which of course was true of him. At the close of Matthew's gospel, we hear the resurrected Christ proclaim all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word power in Matthew 28, 18 is the exact same word as the word authority in our text, Matthew 7, 29. Ecclesia is a word that means freedom of action, right of action. Jesus spoke as one who possessed right of action, authority from above. Jesus possesses freedom of action in heaven and freedom in action on earth. He possesses the Creator's right and the Redeemer's right as God made man. He is the perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. Let me say that otherwise. Who on earth can tell God what to do? No one. Who in heaven can tell God 
what to do? No. God alone is the God of underived authority. If he says, you're in, you're in. If he says, you're out, you're out. You can quote any pastor, any evangelist, any commentator you want to. It doesn't matter. There is only one who is free in right of all heaven and all earth, and that one is Jesus Christ the Lord. And therefore we say, believe on his name, receive him, respond to him, hear his words, and do them. He is the one true, perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. Our exposure and understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ is far greater than the original hearers of the Messianic Manifesto. Uh, uh, We have been given much. And as you know, the scripture says, from us much shall be required. And so the Lord Jesus preached a sermon about God's demand for perfect righteousness and presents himself in such a way so that by the Spirit of God, one might conclude he is, Christ is, the man of perfect righteousness who then in the great work of Calvary died for our sins was buried, rose again the third day, ascended with a promise to return. You need to know Jesus Christ. You need to depend on Jesus Christ. I don't care if you call yourself a Baptist or not. You need Christ. I don't care what you call yourself. You need Christ. Christ is the foundation, the rock upon which any man can have life, and that eternal. King Jesus, on this day of record, in an expanded treatment of his sermon, Jesus spoke at the end of those two ways, two trees, and two houses. Let's take the time to review the text in reading. Once again, back to verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. We should pray, O oh God, 
May I be numbered among the few. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, I hate that word, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings, words of mine, and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When we hear the words of our king and do them, we demonstrate ourselves to be rightly mindful and relationally in tune, act upon the words of Christ today. And you may well say, well, I'm already a believer. I trusted Christ as my Savior in 1960. Good for you. Act upon the words of Christ today. Trust 
and obey, believe, and behave, listen, and really live upon the words of the word. Surely we want this pulpit to be faithful to the lost and the sinful soul, saying to them, trust, believe, and listen. But we ever and always want to be faithful to the saints, to perpetually say, trust and obey, believe and behave, listen and really live upon the words of the word who is Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, our Savior has well presented before us in the record of Scripture the two ways, the two trees, the two houses. May we choose them, the words, May we choose him, the Christ. May our thoughts of Christ drive us to the reality of relationship in Christ today. That we would be people characterized by trust and believe and, and obey and, and believe and behave and, 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 and certainly to listen, but also to live lives of glory to you, our God, for lives are lived after the fashion of Jesus Christ. May the thoughts of the Savior dominate our hearts and minds at worship this morning, and may our song of response seal the deal in our hearts before thy throne. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, Amen.